reality is this. Sometimes we, we are deceiving ourselves, totally deceiving ourselves, if we think that we can have an intimate walk with God and at the same time from our mouth not exhibit the character of God. We're fooling ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves if we think that somehow our spirituality, our faith, our walk with the Lord can be disconnected from our speech and our words. And let me just tell you, this is a hard one because I'm a bumbling idiot with my mouth, all right? Anybody ever feel that way? That sometimes you just like, like seriously, I probably should not have just said that. Like Michelle thinks, 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 and then talks. And then I talk, 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 and then I think, right? That's just the way that I'm wired. Like, I talk first and then think second, and it's terrible. Like, it could get me in a lot of trouble. Like, the one time at the fair, kid you not, I was working. I'm not going to name the company because they're going to be embarrassed, and I'll probably have a lawsuit for them. I was working for a company, working this exhibit at a fair, and this woman came up, and I said, oh, when's your baby due? And she said, what baby? And I was like, oh, no, oh, no. Y'all ever had those moments where you just like want to eat your words? It's like, oh, no. And then I, I think I started digging the hole deeper, like, oh, I was talking about the woman behind you or something like that. Then I was lying, and then I'm really not exhibiting the character of God, right? Um, one of my good friends, uh, actually, it's not a friend. It's a family member, and I'm not going to get too specific because they probably listen online. But um, they told me this story once about uh, their early years of marriage, Okay. The woman goes, she had had long hair before she got married. She goes and gets a haircut for the first time, cuts her long hair and cuts it into one of these like shorter do's that are popular and attractive for women, but she gets it cut pretty short around her head. She comes home excited to tell her husband, you know, and show her husband. And she walks in the door and he just looks at her and she says, honey, what do you think? He says, if I had married, wanted to marry your brother, I would have. <laughs> Not a good idea, gentlemen. Not a good idea, right? You don't say those kind of things to your wife. Now, you might think that, and that's a problem in itself, but definitely don't say that, all right? If your wife says, how's this dress look? What's your answer? Wonderful. You are so hot, right? No matter what happens, that's just a bad idea. Listen. We can get into trouble with our words, right? I've, I've said a few words here during sermons that I regret, all right? You could go research those online if you want to. I'm just saying, my first sermon at this church, I said a word that was totally inappropriate. I didn't even know it was. So I'm just saying this is a problem, right? All right, look at your neighbor and just tell them the last time you had a little problem with your word. Just do that real quick. So we all feel like we're on the same playing ground here. Okay, so we're not alone. (laughs) The reality is we're not alone. Uh, Statistics say uh, in an average day from morning to night, we speak enough words to fill a book of 50 or 60 pages. On an average day, we could fill a book of 50 to 60 pages. Now, we know that a woman's vocal cords are shorter than males, and so they can talk with less effort. And so that average is probably the women speaking 100 uh, books a day or whatever it is, and 
men speaking about 10, right? Because women are more talkative. But regardless, on average, 50 to 60 pages. In a lifetime, that adds up to 100 books, 200 pages each. Wow, so you guys are all authors. You didn't even know it. Uh, it'd be kind of scary if all of our words got written down and documented, right? Published. Anyway, but there's no, there's, no, um, there's no question then as to why, as we approach James chapter 3, that he is going to take, under the inspiration of God and the Holy Spirit, you know, James has written, God's assignment to James is to write this book of total practicality. What he's trying to help us see is that faith actually does meet your life. True faith works itself out into your daily living in every possible area. And James has been going through these step by step by step, but it's no question with all that we know about words and tongues and all of this stuff that we can get ourselves into and me from personal experience, goodness gracious, there's no question why James here in chapter 3 takes 12 verses, which is a lot in this small book, 12 verses to talk about one thing, and that is our words. He wants us to understand the connection between our faith in Christ the transformation that he brings in our hearts and lives, and the words that we speak. So that brings us to our core truth today. I'm going to let you write this down because this is where we're going. If there's one thing I want you to remember, at the end of this message, this is going to be it. And we'll look at James's reasoning here in a second. But our core truth today is this. Words, what's the big deal? Here it is. Because there is a direct correlation between the condition of our hearts and the words from our mouths, Okay, you should be writing this down, putting it in your phone, whatever, so you can take this and meditate on it. And this is what you'll be discussing this week in your small groups. And I know everybody's going to do that and be in a small group this week. Because there is a direct correlation between the condition of our hearts and the words of our mouths, we desperately need to seek a transformation of our tongues that only Jesus can bring. The truth is this, there is, in fact, a direct correlation between what's in here in your heart, the state of your heart, and then the words of your mouth. Therefore, we need to desperately, not just kind of, but we need to desperately, we'll hear this in the tone of James' words, desperately seek a transformation of our hearts and lives and our tongues that only Jesus can bring. James chapter 3. We're going to look at four uh, main things that James teaches us here. We're going to go through these quickly and then we're going to land on some real life application. All right? There are four basic points that James is trying to make to support his bigger point that, listen, you need to be serious about letting Jesus change you such that your words reflect your heart because actually they do. You should be serious about seeking the transformation that only God can bring. Four main reasons that he gives. So let's look at the text. We'll read it all together, and then we'll go back through and point these out. Starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, then he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses that, so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are 
guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let me pray for us real quick. Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful day of worship. And God, I pray more than anything that today we would know Jesus again. Maybe some for the first time that you are real, that you are God, and that you love us. Lord, you love us so much that you gave your own life for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, for renewal of our life, for a promise of a hope and a future with you. All of that is by your grace, Jesus. You give it freely to those who believe and who ask and receive. And Jesus, we just want today to worship you, Lord, for what you are able to do in us, how you are able to change us and make us more like you, God. You are wonderful. Help us to reflect how wonderful you are through the way that we speak. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Four quick points. The first one is this. I want you to write these down, if you will. Number one, we are responsible for our words. First thing that James wants to help us see as he points us to realize this direct connection between our hearts and words and this transformation we need, the first thing he wants us to see to support this is that, look, you are responsible. I am responsible for the things that I say. If you look back at verses 1 and 2, it says, Not many of us should become teachers, for we know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if we don't stumble on what we say, then we're a perfect man, also able to bridle our body. Now, there's obviously a direct connection here to those who desire to be teachers, okay? Teachers, he says, should be careful about being too cocky, being too proud when they get up before people and act like they've got it all together, all right? I've got to be careful about that. I know that it is easy to stand up here and act like I've got it together when Really, I'm just a person like all of you, right? I'm seeking the Lord, needy for a Savior, and growing in holiness just as much as all of you. Be careful, he's saying to teachers, not to get too cocky because, look, even the smallest areas of your life, God knows. He, you ain't fooling him, all right? But what he's saying is you are going to be accountable teachers with a greater strictness for the things that you say, for the things that come out of your mouth. Now, the first thing that it seems obvious here, right, is that the reason that teachers are going to be accountable is because they have influence over other people. Would you agree? 
So if I stood up here and said all kinds of ungodly, wrong, untrue things with my tongue, things that dishonored the Lord that were just not true about Him, that would be so dangerous because I have leadership. I have a position of influence here in this moment and in this church over you. So he's saying, obviously, realize that you're responsible, not just for yourself, but for the influence that you have in the lives of other people. But is this only true for teachers? Do you, let me just ask you this question, you can reflect. Do you have influence over anyone in your life by the things that you say? Who are those people? Think about them. I think that all of us have influence over others by the things that we say, the words that come out of our mouth. Whether it's a coworker, whether it's a family member, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a child, whether it's someone that you just meet on the street, we have influence with our words. We've got to realize and own the fact that we are responsible not just for ourselves and what comes out of our mouths, but we're also responsible for the influence that we have among other people. Does that make sense? The second thing he says is, don't you realize that you're going to be judged with a, what's it say? A greater strictness. There's a comparison here. So who is he comparing teachers to and the judgment of teachers to? Well, he's comparing the judgment of teachers to the judgment of all Christians. What he's saying is that teachers are going to be held more responsible because of their entrustment with leadership. But listen, every believer is responsible. Don't just think, okay, ha ha, teachers got to watch their words. Whew, never signing up for a small group leader position, right? I, don't, I like cussing. No, you know, don't do that. Don't let that be you. Because the reality is, all of us are held accountable, will be held accountable here and especially on the day of judgment for the things that we say. All of us are responsible for this. And we need to own it. We really need to own it. Now, I brought along with me something today that I forgot to get out of my bag a second ago. Toothpaste, okay? We use Crest Complete. It's really good. It makes my mouth feel fresh and clean. Um, the reality, my mama always said something to me. She said, words are like toothpaste. Y'all ever heard this? Once they come out, you can't put them back. <laughs> you really just can't do it. That's good. <laughs> mm, that's good. Um, words are like toothpaste. Once they come out, why are you laughing? <laughs> Once they come out, you cannot put them back. We, are, we need to take ownership for the things that we say. I don't want you to be the person that says stuff and then kind of justifies it. Kind of goes around and be like, well, that wasn't a big deal. I didn't really mean it. Well, I was angry then. You know, when I said that, it wasn't a... That wasn't really me. You know, I was just joking. Mm -mm. Don't you know that we're going to be held accountable, that you're responsible for the words that come out of your mouth. We're responsible. You've got to own them. And you've got to own the fact that your words say something about you. All right? Not just for you and your relationship with God, but also you and your influence over others. Now, he follows it up, verse 2, and he says, 
but realize that we all stumble in many ways. There's nobody perfect. But this is a big deal because he says, if anyone is perfect, then they're going to realize how to bridle their tongue. What he says is, the mark of maturity as a believer is one who has self-control over their tongue. So it, don't, don't think that you're perfect, because there's nobody perfect, but do aim for maturity and completeness in Christ. Because a clean mouth, a God-honoring mouth, a godly mouth, is a mark of the man or woman who is mature. You got it? Number one, what is it? Tell your neighbor. We are responsible for our words. Secondly, the second thing, my mouth is so fresh and clean, by the way. Wow, this is awesome. James is helping us see that we desperately need to seek transformation of our tongues because of this direct relation in our heart and our words. So secondly, not only are we responsible, but secondly, we need to realize that our words are powerful. Our words are powerful. Let's look at verse 3. We'll read through verse 6. James goes on and he says, Look, if we put bits, you know that thing that a horse wears around his head? Y'all been horse riding or you've seen them? If we put that stuff into his mouth so that they can obey us, look, we can guide their whole bodies like this. And look at the ships. Though they're so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by such really small rudders, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is small, yet it boasts of great things. And how great a forest is set on fire by such a small little blaze. And, oh, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It's set on fire among our members, stains the whole body, sets on fire the whole course of life, and is set on fire indeed itself by hell. So, the point James is trying to make is that our words are powerful. Two main illustrations. I love how practical James is because he's like, look at the horse. Look at the ship. Check out the forest fire, right? He's like pointing to stuff that we understand, all right? He's trying to teach us deep spiritual things by these really obvious things. Can't you look at a horse? I mean, you've got a 1,500-pound animal. Is that right? Around there? Big animals. I went horse riding not so long ago, uh, and it was so fun, but they gave me the easy horse because they knew, I, you know, it was a horse that would do what he's supposed to do regardless of how you controlled it, right? He just stayed on the trail. Um, that's the horse that your pastor gets. It's great. But anyway, it was fun. But these huge animals that could do almost anything, they could be used for good or they could be used for bad. But what controls this whole animal is what? This small little thing. Same thing with a ship. You ever been on a cruise? Yeah? Huge boats. You might not want to see what's really steering it because it'll kind of scare you. It's, I mean, they're big, you know, probably as big as this room. But on, in comparison with the cruise ship, it's really small. The rudder is a small part of the ship, but yet it's that one little rudder that controls the whole thing. Now, ships can be used for great things, carrying cargo, carrying precious goods across the sea, but if those ships are not controlled in the right way, if the rudder goes awry, when a storm comes, when the winds blow, what happens to that ship? It could be a site of tremendous damage and casualty, right? What matters is how that thing is controlled and who is operating it. James says, listen, don't you get that your words are like this, that your little tongue is like this? Everybody point to their tongue, right? 
it is not a really big thing in your body. I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of small, all right? It's small. It's not a big organ. It's not one of the primary ones that you think about. It doesn't even have a bone in it, poor thing. But yet, oh, man, oh, man, this thing has potential, right? For so much good if it's controlled properly. But I'm telling you, and you might be a victim or you might be one who has victimized with your tongue, but you know from personal experience that this little thing that has potential for so much good also has potential for what? So much bad. But the key here is that it has potential. One little word could set a chain of events that ends up setting a whole forest on fire. One little spark, one little word, one little thing sets off a chain of events that unleashes a great power. Look at this video real quick. See if you think one thing doesn't matter. That's mesmerizing to me. <laughs> I think that's so awesome, right? Can you imagine how many times I had to set those books up to get that right? Miserable. Those people need a life, right? <laughs> well, um, there it goes again. There are my words, right? <laughs> Terrible. Here's the thing, though. What James is saying is one little thing. Don't you realize that one small thing, one small word from this little small organ in your body, if it is not controlled, if it has not come out as God would have it to come out, 
This one small thing can unleash a world, a world of damage. And it sometimes starts like this. Uh, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? You know, I think we need to pray for Josh. Did you hear what's happening in his life? Right? Y'all been there? Done that? And I love how we couch it in spirituality, right? I'm telling you, you want to know how Christian gossip starts? Well, we need to pray about so-and-so. You know, it's just, it's just gossip veiled in prayer, right? One little thing like that, though, I'm telling you, because I've been on the other side of it, where somebody says something about you that might not be true, or you say something about somebody else that might not be true, it's just hearsay, and that thing begins to spread in a way that literally you can no longer control it. It gets out, and once it comes out, you're not going to be able to put it back, and that one thing leads to another thing. They lead to another thing. Uh, Deborah mentioned this morning that it's almost like uh, feathers unleashed into the wind. How are you going to go ever and pick all those feathers back up again? That is the power of words. Power for good. Listen, I keep a box under my bed. I'm a words person. Anybody else a words person? Words mean a lot to me. I keep a box under my bed full of cards and notes that people have sent me probably since I was three years old. And you might laugh at that, but I go and look at them sometimes and just read them because I love reading positive things. Words that have been spoken to me that mean so much to me. Words have so much power for good and encouragement, right? A praise. Uh, just, man, I'm praying for you. I love you. I love you. I'm sorry. All of these words have so much potential for good and godliness. That's why the scriptures say, encourage one another. Speak what is fitting for those who are godly. Encourage, bless, use your words for good and use them to praise God. But in the same tongue, you have the potential, the power that is there to hurt. I hate you. I don't know if I should have ever married you. I think that you are such a loser. Are you stupid or something? You know, these kinds of words, if they've ever been spoken to you or you to anybody else, you know in the same, with the same little thing, there is such big power. All right? So not only do we need to realize we're responsible, but secondly, we need to realize our words are powerful. Thirdly, we need to realize this, that our words cannot be controlled on our own. Verse 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and it is full of deadly poison. If you understand that the tongue has potential to set something on fire, right? And maybe you understand that it has indeed set something on fire before. Don't you think that you're going to want to put the fire out, right? The fire starts in your kitchen. Don't you think you're going to want to put it out before it spreads to your living room? Hello? Yes? No? Maybe so? Okay. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird, but I want to put it out. Okay? 
Here's the thing. If we realize the power behind our words, if we truly realize that God intends for this tongue to be used to bless and not for evil, if we realize the potential and power there, then we want to be serious about wanting to get this thing under control, wanting to use the bit and the rudder in the right way, wanting to use the flame for good and not for destruction, right? We're going to be serious about it. But the question then comes, how are we to do it? Now, James interestingly goes and talks about animals and how we tame animals. Who has a dog? Okay, anybody ever trained your dog? Okay, we try, right? Michelle and I have tried. Okay, we, we, we've gotten some basic things down. Um, we're not as good as some of you. But the reality is animals can be trained. You can go to the circus and watch elephants riding on cars and tigers and mon- monkeys riding tigers' backs and all of these you know, stupid little things that we like watching. Like, wow, that's so cool. I didn't know that giraffes could suck lollipops. That's amazing. So we can tame animals for all kinds of crazy stuff. But the reality is even the biggest of beasts of mankind can be tamed. We've figured it out. But for some reason, there is no human being that has figured out how to tame this little joker in our mouths. Anybody have full control over it? Anybody ever done some self-help exercises and just mastered it totally? What James says is no human being has figured it out. Now, what he's not saying is that it's not possible to tame it. What he is saying is that no human being can tame the tongue. So it can be tamed, but you can't tame it on your own. You, You tracking with him? Everybody track it with them. So what then, where then does that lead us? He says the tongue is a restless evil, which means it's prone to wander. That you, it requires constant watch. It's full of poison, which means it affects everything about you. It affects others around you. This is, this is the bigness of what's going on here with what comes out of our mouth. You can't expect to be a gossiper and expect tr- people to trust you, right? When you can't ex- if you just think about the things in your life that you desire for people to trust you in or to follow you in, listen, if your mouth is out of control, it'll ruin you, it'll ruin others. How, how then? What is James saying if we can't do it? Well, it's the whole point of his book. We've got to go to Jesus. We've got to depend entirely on the grace and power of God. We have got to take all of these practical areas of our life and lay them down and let God change us. Yeah, human beings can't tame the tongue, but God can. The only way to tame the most powerful organ in your body is to give it to the most powerful being in the universe. And that is God himself. We don't preach a message of self-help around here, though I believe self-discipline and self-control is one of the great and blessed fruits of our Holy Spirit. But you are not going to do this on your own. The way to tame the most powerful organ in your body is to give it to the most powerful one in the universe. He is the only one, indeed, who can change what comes out of your mouth. Trusting the Holy Spirit. And this is where James lands us on point number four. 
is that we have to realize the source of our words. We have to realize that our words reflect our heart. Let's go back and look where James lands. Because this is the blessing. He might have spoken powerfully. You might feel convicted. You might go, okay, I've got issues. But don't miss the blessing. This is not for you to walk away and feel sorry for yourself or try to do it on your own effort. No, this is where James is encouraging you to go to God. Verse 9. With our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What James is saying here is that if you want to understand how to see transformation in your mouth, then you've got to understand where it comes from. It comes from your heart. Your mouth is simply the opening that vents your heart. Your mouth is simply the opening that vents your heart. If there's raw sewage in your heart, then you will get raw sewage from your mouth. If there is fresh, clean water in your heart, then you will get fresh, clean water from your mouth. Look with me at Matthew if you will, flip over to Matthew chapter 15, verse 10. And I want you to see that James is just merely encouraging us to remember the words of Jesus and the grace and power of Jesus. Matthew chapter 15, verse 10. He says this, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles the person. Look down at verse 16. The disciples say, Well, gosh, I don't really understand this. Explain this to us. And he says, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds where? From the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. Out of the heart come murder, adultery, sexual immorality. Out of the heart come theft and false witness and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat what's washed, with, eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile anyone. James is merely reflecting what Jesus has already taught. 
And that is, if you want to understand how to see transformation from your lips, then you've got to seek first transformation in your heart. For everything that comes out of your mouth is directly correlated to something that's going on in your heart. And so if you've got a frustration with your tongue, if you're seeing that it's causing evil, if you're seeing that it's dishonoring to the Lord, if you're tired of it, if, you're, if you want control over it, then you've got to let God get control over your heart. Through His grace, His forgiveness in Jesus, God died for you that your sins might be taken from you. This is why Jesus came, to forgive us. Listen, it says in Isaiah chapter 53 that as a lamb goes before the shearers, so Jesus went to the cross and He did not open His mouth. He had control over his tongue. He lived a perfect life because he knew, he knows that you don't. And he went to the cross in perfection with everything that he spoke so that he might be the perfect substitute and perfect Savior for you to trust and for you to receive forgiveness and new life. There is a fresh start with God as it relates to your mouth. Amen? I thank God for our wonderful Savior. You trust Him then. This is why He came, to give you the grace and then to free you from the sin. You no longer are bound to sin. You can be free. You can have the Holy Spirit of God living within you, breathing within you, and allowing His presence and power to change you from the inside out. But you've got to realize it starts with your heart. Let me give you some examples and then we'll be done because I want to take this home to your, to your life. I struggle with criticism. Michelle can tell you this. She shouldn't shake her head right now, because that would be bad. <laughs> Actually, it wouldn't be bad, because she knows it. I struggle with criticism. I can be a critical person. Now, I could easily say that all of my criticism could be justified. Right? For the things I criticize, well, maybe they are wrong, maybe they're not. But why am I a critical person and not an encouraging person at times? Well, what James says is I need to look in my heart. Why am I critical? Well, does it come from a spirit of pride? Thinking that I could do it better? Thinking that I know better? Thinking that my way is better? Usually, yeah. I can link criticism to a heart of arrogance and pride or heart of judgmentalism. Therefore, the battle for me is not just with my critical words, though I should be careful and slow to speak when I begin to think critical things, but the battle for me is fought in my heart with arrogance, pride, judgmentalism. You tracking? What about people being abrasive or attacking, people who are in relationships and they just lash out with anger, uncontrollable, abrasive, harsh with their words. Look deeper, James suggests. Is it that you're not trusting God, you're looking to others for what only God can fulfill on you? How's your prayer life? Are you walking with the Lord? 
Are you allowing His love for you to change you? Do you care about others more than yourself, or are you a self-centered person that doesn't really care how you affect others as long as you get what you want? See, it's those deeper issues in your heart that the Lord Jesus came to satisfy in you, to free you of, and to move you into a life of grace, healing, restoration, and a life that honors Him in every way. What about gossiping? Is your, is your struggle just with gossiping? I'm telling you, you need to look deeper. What James says is, you know, you, you, can't, you can't say that you're right with God and yet exhibit all of this over here. You know, and sometimes we identify big sins, but gossiping is a sin, scriptures say. We say, oh, it's just a little thing. No, it, it shows something about your heart. Oh, come, let God change your heart. Let Him give you a heart of mercy. Let Him give you a heart of love toward those that you're gossiping about. Aren't you thinking about them instead of yourself in that moment when you could choose to stop gossip or spread it? Oh, let God give you His heart of love and compassion and mercy. What about profanity? Coarse joking. In your heart, where's the fear of God? In your heart, don't you long to honor Him and revere Him and show Him as wonderful to the world around you? Why are you so lazy? Let God give you purpose and drive to be self-disciplined for His glory. You see, you see what I'm saying here? What James is saying here is that if you want to realize the real power to change your tongue, then you've got to realize that it comes from your heart. And I just want to proclaim to you today that we have an awesome Savior, and His name is Jesus. And He has the power to change you. And He has the power to change me. And He wants our mouths to reflect our hearts, and in fact, they do. But if we say that our hearts are with Him, let's show it with our life. Amen? If we say that our hearts are with Him, let's honor and bless Him with our lips. Let's glorify Him in the way that we exhibit our speech. Let's encourage one another as long as it is called today. Let your words be used for building up and not for tearing down. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. And Lord, we thank you for your good word, God, that has come to us today. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, um, in my own life, and Lord, I pray for all of my friends and my family here in this church. Lord, that we would see that our words are really a big deal because our words reflect you. And our words reflect our own hearts before you. God, I'm coming to you today just surrendering. Lord, I recognize that I'm responsible. I own it for the things I say. I know that the things I say have power for good and for evil. And Lord, I know today 
that I can't do anything about it on my own. So today, God, I bring you my heart, and I am pleading with you. I am desperate, Lord, to continue to see the transformation that only you, God, can bring. The transformation that you want to bring when I trust you, when I'm satisfied in you, when I seek you with all of my heart. Lord, help me to take my words seriously because they reflect you. Help me to live for your glory. And God, I pray this in Jesus' name.